All right, my friends. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 107 in just a moment. Uh, so, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Did you, have a good th- did you get a chance to eat all your good food with all your favorite people? Maybe some of us were able to do that. Maybe some of us weren't able to do that. Uh, we had Thanksgiving here, uh, just the five of us, um, and it was awesome. Even in the midst of COVID and all this stuff, this might be my favorite Thanksgiving. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Okay, it's not because of crazy in-laws. I love my in-laws. That's not why. For the past three months, I've been on a killer diet. Killer diet. Okay, I signed up for insurance and they said, hey, if you lower your cholesterol by such and such, we'll save you $7 a month. Ooh, listen, that $7 better feel good in my pocket because I haven't been eating red meat, sugar, anything. So basically everything good to eat, just throw out the window, I didn't have it. And so guess my first day that I just splurged, when was that? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. And for the first time, I feel like I understand and I was able to enjoy Thanksgiving as it was truly meant to be. You see, Thanksgiving was set up as a day where the rest of the year you had to eat sparingly. You didn't have lavish feasts. How often do you have lavish feasts at home? Moms and dads, how often do you cook lavish feasts? No, not very often. So one time a year. And so you're on a diet for three months. It's like you're wandering through a culinary desert. And then you peek one dune and there's Thanksgiving, like cool, crisp water to a a thirsty and starving man. That's how I felt about Thanksgiving. We're supposed to see it as when you enter that dining room and, and the bounty that's laid out on that table, we're supposed to say, wow, look at the grace of God. Look at all the things God has given us. It's supposed to be a parable. For the grace of God and for the thankfulness of His people. Every, every Thanksgiving, every November, you and I, we play out this parable together with some of our favorite people enjoying some of our favorite food. And we're supposed to say, wow. And we're supposed to think of the banquet that we will have in heaven forever. And so for the first time, going without good food for so long, to be able to look at it and say, wow, how gracious is our God. Did you feel that? Did you enjoy the grace of God? Like a starving man enjoys a banquet. Did you enjoy that? Did you see that? Did you play that parable on Thanksgiving? Well, the psalmist in Psalm 107 wants to stir that up in us. He wants to show us that we as God's people have enjoyed a banquet of God's grace and God's goodness. And He wants to stir in us a thankfulness. He wants to make every day thanksgiving. And so we're going to do a little different. He, he tells us to be thankful, and then He provides us four stories about why we should be thankful. And so we're going to read this a little differently. We're going to read it in sections. And the first section we're going to read together, we're going to read the first three verses of Psalm 107. If you have your Bibles with with you, read it to yourself as I read it aloud. It goes like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, 
whom he has redeemed from trouble. I love this part. And gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so for He has redeemed us from trouble. From all over the world, wherever you come from, He has redeemed you, Christian, from your trouble. So why? Why give thanks to the Lord? What's the deal? Why Why Thanksgiving every day? Well, the psalmist says we thank the Lord every day for He is good. I knew that. I knew that. My three-year-old knows that. What's the big deal? We know that. We hear this so often, that the Lord is good, that God is good. And sometimes it just kind of washes over us and it doesn't surprise us. We forget. We lose sight of what it really means to be good. But this is what the psalmist wants you to know. We need to give thanks. We need to be thankful because God is good. Meaning, get a load of this, meaning, God will never mistreat you. How awesome is that? God is good, meaning at His very nature of who He is, God will always be good to you. Isn't that good news? Have you ever been around people that, you, that, you, that aren't like that? Have you ever been around people that you question, you wonder, is this person going to mistreat me again? Have you ever been around people that you wonder, you can't, be, you can't be restful around this person because they've been wicked to you before? Judgmental? Ultra-critical? You know what it feels like to be around those people, right? You're never at ease. You're kind of wondering, when's the next time they're going to say something that hurts me? When's the next time they're going to do something that hurts me? You ever feel that way? Maybe some of us feel that way at work. Maybe that's around your boss. Maybe it's around your coworker. Maybe some of us feel that way in our marriages. God forbid. But the psalmist wants us to say, no, look, this is God's relationship with you. He is always good to you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that good to hear? He never mistreats you. Even when you experience suffering, It is from God's goodness. What does that mean? Well, even when you suffer, in 10,000 years, when you look back on your suffering today, you're going to realize that good things came from it. And you're going to say, God, I thank You for Your goodness that was displayed in my suffering. Isn't that amazing? Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. He is always good to you. You can rest assured that He will not mistreat you. Give thanks for His good. His steadfast love endures forever. We've talked about the word hesed. Hesed love. You remember this? Way back with the book of Ruth. right? It was when Ruth came to Naomi and she said, she, she showed her hesed love. She said, no, I'm not leaving you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. What you eat, I will eat. Where you die, I will die. That is saying, I have bulletproof love for you. Nothing you do will change my love for you. Nothing I encounter will change my love for you. And that is the love that God has for you. 
Christian, be thankful because God is displaying to you every single day his steadfast love. Some of us struggle with assurance of our salvation. That when we sin, we think, can God really still love me? Was this, was this the one? Was this the straw that broke the camel's back? Maybe that's you. And the psalmist, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, wants to say, no, it's not like that. Give thanks to the Lord, for His love for you is steadfast forever. Christian, God's love for you does not depend on your work. It depends on the work of Jesus God will, God will stop loving you when He stops loving Jesus. And when will, that, when will that be? Never. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. He says, give thanks to the Lord. He has redeemed us through Jesus. Christian. The word redemption again goes back, makes us think of that, the book of Ruth. Ruth was redeemed by Boaz. Redemption is this idea that a, a family member has gotten himself in ridiculous trouble. They've gotten themselves in debt that they could never pay. They've gotten themselves thrown in jail that they could never break out of. And so a family member comes to redeem them and says, I will pay your debt. I will free you from prison. That is redemption in Christian. God has redeemed us. He has purchased for us salvation and freedom through the blood of Jesus. So he says, he says, give thanks for you have been redeemed. And this might be my favorite part of the whole thing. He, he, has, he has redeemed us and he ends that section by saying, by saying, give thanks those who are redeemed who've been redeemed. I love this. From the north. Is that north? North. From the north. From the south. From the east. From the west. He has redeemed us. Meaning, Wherever you find yourself, you are never out of the reach of God. You're never too far for God's redemption. You're north? Maybe you're way far north. Maybe you've done some terrible things in your past. God can reach that far. He redeems from the north. For Israel reading this, they realize that God redeems people who are not like us. People who are not Jews. As Gentiles, aren't we glad that God reaches over ethnic boundaries and saves people like us? Wherever you are, whatever your story, God redeems sinners. Christian, wherever you have been, know where you are going because no matter how far you were from God, God redeemed you. No matter if you were north, south, east, or west. So the psalmist says, give thanks. Now if we take those things, if we take his goodness, God is good, and we take uh, his, his long-suffering love, his steadfast love, his hesed love, and if we take his redemption, and if we take his willingness to stretch north, south, east, and west, no matter our story, if we take all those things and we smash them together and we see the picture of God's grace, we might be able to write this sentence. It goes like this, give thanks to the Lord for no matter where you came from, His lavish grace has freed you from your sin debt and has brought you under His never-diminishing, never-ending love. So give thanks. Give thanks. 
Now, Christian, that's our story. That's our story. But so often we forget. So often I forget where I came from. I'm a pastor now. I'm a few years down the road in sanctification. God is continuing to make me perfect. And He's 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. We're not saved. 15 years, 20 years down the road. I can kind of forget the desperate situation I was in when I was a sinner. And when I forget the desperate situation that I was at when I was a sinner who was not saved, when I was a sinner outside the grace of God, I can forget where I come from. I can forget the story that was told when I was saved by Jesus. I can forget those things. And when I forget those things, I will not be thankful. I will not be thankful. And if, if God's grace, if God's goodness and God's, God's loving kindness is, is bulletproof love for us and His redemption and my, my story, if they squish together and I am not thankful, one of three things happen. If I'm not thankful, if I don't have a thankful heart, maybe I believe it, but if it doesn't spring in me a thankfulness to God, if that doesn't happen either, I don't believe it as I should Maybe I believe it a little bit, but I don't really believe that God's love for me is bulletproof. You know what I mean? Believe it. Or, maybe I don't understand it as I should. Maybe you don't understand that God really means it when He says He will never leave you, even if you sin, Christian. Maybe you don't really understand that. If I don't understand that, I will not be thankful. Or, the scariest part, if this thing does not make me thankful, It can mean I suspect I deserve everything God gives me. And so, in a hope to to cast those misunderstandings out from us, in an effort to spring in us thankfulness for God's grace, he tells us four stories of God's redemption. Now, Christian, try to find yourself in one of these stories. Maybe your story is a combination. Maybe your story is all four. Maybe sometimes you still feel like you're in this story. That's okay. And maybe today, if you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, find yourself in these stories and ask yourself, why have you not been saved? So let's read some of these stories. The first story that should spring up in us a thankfulness for God's grace is the story of the starving and thirsty desert wanderer. Let's read this together. This is little number four goes like this, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love for His wondrous works to the children of men, for He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Lostness, homelessness, hunger, thirst, and exhaustion. Christian, maybe this was your story when God saved you. Maybe you were like the man wandering through the desert. When we went on vacation this year, we went to the Omaha Zoo. 
It's one of the best news in the world. And one of the things they do really well is they want to get you into these environments. And so they made this big desert dome. It's a huge dome. And they put different deserts from around the world in there, and you're supposed to walk through it, and it's phenomenal. But you feel like you're in the desert. And what I took away from that place this year was I never want to be in the desert. Everything in the desert either wants to sting you, poke you, kill you, eat you, give you venom, or starve you, or let you die of thirst. That's all the desert is. I don't want to be there. I cannot imagine a least hospitable, is that the right word? Hospitable place to be. And maybe you can relate to that. Christian, maybe before Christ, your life was wandering through the desert, hoping against hope that over that next dune was water. And maybe you felt that water would finally satisfy you. And you climbed that hill and you looked over and there was nothing. And maybe you were like that with finding something to satisfy you. And maybe you were searching for that satisfaction in a job Maybe you hop from job to job to job to job trying to find self-worth, trying to find satisfaction, and it wasn't there. Christian, maybe you were hopping from relationship to relationship to relationship trying to find satisfaction. But it was like wandering through the desert. It's like wandering through the desert. Maybe you were hopping job to job, church to church, family to family, relationship to relationship, town to town, whatever it was. Maybe you displayed this habitual wandering. I can never be satisfied. Surely the next sand dune, I will find food, water, and rest. Surely the next sand dune, I will find a job that satisfies, or a a spouse that satisfies, or a friendship that satisfies, or an XYZ. Surely that will be there. But there's no food. There's no water. There's no city. So they wander still. And finally, over that next hill, you're just done. Christian, do you recognize that? You're just done. Nothing is satisfied. You cannot find what you need out there. And finally, exhausted, you collapse to the sand. And Christian, maybe it was at that time that you cried to the Lord in your trouble and He delivered you. Is that where your story was? That you could never find things that, to satisfy you. That you were hungry and starving and thirsty and nothing is satisfied. And you cried to the Lord. And Jesus came into the desert. And just like the picture of the Good Samaritan, maybe He came to you and saw you, heard your cry, and picked you up. Put you on His own donkey. And brought you to the city of God. Maybe that's your story. To the desert wanderer, Jesus is the way. Isn't that amazing how this ta- this this says they couldn't find the way to the city. Jesus comes, he says, I am the way. Jesus says, He is the bread of life. To the man, to the woman starving in the desert, he is the bread of life. To the man or woman who can't find water to satisfy, he is the water of life. To the one who has collapsed at exhaustion, I can't go 
on. He is the Sabbath rest. Is that you? Was that your story? If that was your story, the psalmist says, understand your story, live your story, eat your story, breathe your story, admit where you were, and praise the Lord. Thank the Lord that He has found you in the desert and He is all satisfying. Is that your story? If so, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love. Maybe that's where the Lord brought you in. But maybe not. Maybe the Lord, maybe it's on the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe you were the wanderer and maybe you weren't. Maybe your story is less wandering and more the prisoner chained in a dark dungeon. Let's read this together. Let's read verse 10. It goes like this. Some, don't forget, some who were redeemed from east, west, north, and south, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. The opposite end, right? The desert wanderers away from God trying to find other things to satisfy. This person is not wandering. We know exactly where this person is. This person is in a dungeon of their own sinfulness. Maybe that's where you were. Maybe the guilt and shame and sin in your life have made it such that your life feels like a prison. Maybe that's where you were, Christian. Guilt and darkness and toil and bonds and chains and doors and bars. There's a French term. Oubelette. We have some French speakers, but I think they're watching online so they won't make fun of me. Um, Eubelette. It's French from the word forgotten. And what it means is the French had, they had this dungeon in a dungeon. Can you imagine? And so this dungeon in a dungeon was a trap door. Small trap door in the floor. And they would lift it up and there'd be a small drop into a very small room. Sometimes there'd be water at the bottom. Most of the time as they would throw prisoners down there never to see them again, they'd slam the, the trap door shut. And it was so tiny, part of the torture was they couldn't even sit, they couldn't lay down, they couldn't even turn their bodies. They were standing straight until they died. Can you imagine? That's what the psalmist is trying to say. Some of us were redeemed in the dungeon of our own sinfulness. The darkness and guilt and shame of our life was so claustrophobic. There was no light. Some of us were so deep in sinfulness some of us have sinned and sinned and sinned and, and rebelled against God to the point that our entire life was, in, in shatter, was shattered. Maybe we lost a family. Maybe we lost a spouse. Maybe we lost a job. Maybe we lost all friends. But we were, we were so deep in our sinfulness that it was as if there was no sun at all. Psalmist 
And we see, I mean, we can all feel that way, but maybe that's where you are now. Maybe you are not a believer in Jesus and your sin has just, it has just engulfed you in darkness so that you can't breathe, you can't see, you can't sleep. Maybe that's where you are. And here's the good news. God redeems people in the dungeon. Some of us were that way, Christian. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And He answered them in their distress. It's as if, Christian, when that was you in the dungeon, it's as if you cried out to the Lord in this tiny dungeon that was your tomb. And it was as if Jesus came and He opened the trap door. And can you imagine after not seeing light for years, who knows how long, to see light for the first time? Can you imagine the joy of that? To have Jesus open the trap door and say, I save sinners. The light of life. Can you imagine that feeling of Jesus stooping down, reaching in? You're too, you're too sinful, bruised. You're too weak to get yourself out of there. Jesus reaches down and He pulls you up by your arm. And can you imagine the feeling of freedom? Can you imagine the feeling? And can you imagine knowing that you were there because it's your fault? You're not a political prisoner. You're not there by accident knowing that's you. And yet seeing this man, Jesus, stoop and pick you up. What should that do to us? That should spring in us a thankfulness that never ends. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He burst their bonds apart. No prison doors are strong enough. No iron bars are strong enough. No dungeon is deep enough for you to escape the grace of God, Christian. Isn't that good news? Are you thankful that our sin never puts us out of God's reach? Are you glad that, that that person, there we were in that dungeon, forgotten to the world, but we were never forgotten by God? So Christian, if that's you, if you recognize yourself in that dungeon, the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord. Have your life reflect the thankfulness of a prisoner set free. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're in that dungeon, call out to Him so that He may free you and you may see the light of life. Charles Wesley writes this amazing lyric about this exact thing. He says this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon was filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed Thee. Is that your story? Give thanks to the Lord. The third person, the third person He calls us, if you're redeemed in this way, give thanks to the Lord, is the sick fool. The sick fool. Let's read about this poor guy. The sick fool. Verse 17. Some who have been redeemed, some who have been freed, some who have been experiencing the grace and mercy of God, some were fools through their sinful ways. 
And because of their iniquities, their sin suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous work to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Some of us, when we were saved, were sick fools. This is not a random sickness that we all might get. This is a sickness that is due to our foolishness. This is a sickness that is deserved. A sickness that is directly tied to foolish sin. And when he says foolish, the Bible doesn't mean stupid when he says foolish. The Bible means someone who refuses to follow godly wisdom. It might look something like this. It's the bullheaded person who says, I'm not going to listen to you. It might be the drug addict that says, I know what people say about drug addiction, but I'm different. It won't have that effect on me. It's the man or woman who says, I know what they say about drunk driving, but I'm different. It's those of us who say, I'm the smartest person in the room. I don't need to listen to anybody else. It's the, have you ever heard about this? The change, changed your diaper syndrome. You ever hear about this? If you change someone's diaper, if you've ever changed someone's diaper, they don't have anything good to tell you. I mean, wisdom for you. And, parents, you ever hear this? If, if, you, if you change their diaper, you don't have anything good for them to hear. You ever feel that dynamic? That's foolishness. No one can tell me what to do. These are self-inflicted sicknesses. Drug addiction, porn addiction, alcoholism. Heart failure from gluttony. Overspending greed that leads to debt and bankruptcy. Lung cancer from smoking. Sexually transmitted illnesses. Laziness that leads to misery and depression. These are foolish things that we pursue in rejection of godly wisdom. And the example that always comes to my mind, one that's really, that's so, that keeps me up at night, is when I'll have a counseling session with somebody and they have a decision to make and it's a, it's a weighty decision. It almost looks like the decision between life and death. It is a pastor, I need to know what to do. Uh, I, I want to go, I can go this way or this way. And I say, well, the Bible is clear. You must go this way. They say, thanks, pastor, and they leave and they take the other route and it leads to destruction. This is the self-righteous fool that thinks that they're right no matter what. And even if we're wrong, we're going to double down. You ever feel that way? Maybe you tell me something and I go the opposite direction and then I know you're right, but I'd never tell you right, so I'm going to double down. I'm going to double down. Verse 18 depicts us we're so addicted to our foolish sin that it's like we're wasting away into ourselves. 
We won't, even, we won't even eat the bread that will make us stronger. We just suck in on ourselves. We, we refuse to do the good things that will make us healthy again. We refuse to say, you were right. That can do a lot, can't it? A dose of humility can go a long way, but we're not interested. Or we're not interested in saying, I need help. I'm addicted. We're not interested in saying, I repent of my pride. We won't even say, I will listen and take your counsel. We suck in on ourselves. Maybe that's where you were, Christian. Heading toward destruction. And then they cried to the Lord. And in their trouble, He delivered them from their distress. And this is the only story that says how God saves us here. How God heals us. It says, these foolish people who refuse wisdom, how are they healed? God sends their Word. God sends His Word. He sends His Word. And He heals them and delivers them from, his, from their destruction. How do we become wise people? It's His Word. How do we avoid these foolish things? His Word. Submitting to the Word of God heals this kind of foolishness. Submitting to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God in a church family protects us from foolishness. That's why I want my kids listening to sermons. Because if we preach the Word of God, one of the reasons is I want them to, to hear what it means to be wise. And that comes from the book. Finally, do you, do, you, do you see yourself there? Maybe that's where you were. You said, man, as a teenager, I wouldn't listen to anybody. I had my, my own thoughts, my own feelings, my own desires, and I raced that way. I, my parents tried to tell me, and it was just disaster. Maybe that's where you were when Jesus saved you. And finally, the last story is the cowardly sailor tossed up and down by the storms of life. Is this you? Verse 23, some who were redeemed from north, south, east, west, went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy winds which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love for His wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. Cowardly sailor tossed up and down by the storms of life speaks of our utter weakness. Maybe that's where you are when Christ found you. The storms of life were tossing you here and there. And guess what? It wasn't your fault. Wasn't your fault? And maybe it just shows you you were so weak and helpless. These men were sailors. They knew what, what a storm looked like, and even sailors were at their wits' end. Their courage melted away. 
They staggered around like drunk men. Have you felt that in life where the storms of life toss you to and fro, up and down, and you're staggering? You can't even walk a straight line. You can't even, be, you can't even have a, live a normal life because of the storms around you. You feel that way? And these sailors were at their wits' end. Even their seamanship could not save them. Nothing will help. We should all feel a little bit of that right now. Can anybody, anybody in control of the virus? And the hurricane shook these men up and down, up and down, up and down. Have you ever been there? Maybe sickness of a child? When we first came here, some of you remember this, Bailey had, a, had an illness and something with her stomach. And the doctor, one of the doctors said it could be cancer or a tumor. You remember this? That's a storm in life where I go, I can't do anything for my daughter. I can't save my girl. I don't know what's happening. Feeling like a drunken sailor walking the decks. That's what I felt like. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe it's a sickness of a family member, the death of a family member, loss of a job, whatever it could be. Have you felt that? Have you felt that? The hurricane shakes us into seeing the world as it truly is. That we are not in control. We live at the whim of a cold and dangerous world. And then they cried to the Lord. And He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad the waters were quiet. And He brought them to their desired haven. Are you in that storm today? Well, we could not have a perfect example of how God does this. You remember Jesus? Remember Jesus in a storm? He's with His disciples who are fishermen. He's asleep in the back of the boat. And the storm comes up. The disciples didn't know what to do. Lifelong fishermen couldn't get out of it. They thought they were going to die. They pulled every cord. They weighed the anchor. They did whatever you're supposed to do. And they thought they were going to die. They wake Jesus up. They say, Lord, do you just intend for us to die? And Jesus said, Peace! Be still! And a storm stopped. The psalmist says, he uses those words. He says, he stilled the storm. And the psalmist says, he takes the boat and brings it into a safe harbor. Often the storms rage, but the grace of Jesus is our anchor. Often the storms rage, but the steadfast love of God will get us to the harbor. Often, storms will rage in the Christian life, but we have Jesus in our boat. We know our souls will never capsize. Is that where God saved you? Give thanks. My favorite story about the storms of life, we've talked about it often, Horatio Spafford wrote, It is well with my soul. He wrote it after two of his daughters drowned in the middle of the Atlantic. 
And when he went across on the same voyage to see his wife, he he passed the same sea that took the lives of his two daughters. And he wrote this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Have you learned to sing that when the storms of life rage? Is that where God saved you? Be thankful. Of these four people, of these four people with vastly different experiences, here's something that's similar. All four of these people, the desert wanderer, the prison, prisoner in the dungeon, the self-inflicted diseased fool, and the cowardly sailor, all of them have something in common. They were delivered by God purely by His grace. Do you see that? The man in the desert, he was dying. He couldn't contribute. He couldn't pay for his sins. He couldn't tithe. He couldn't attend church. He couldn't be a good person. He's dying in the next few minutes. All he's able to do is cry out to the Lord. And in His grace, the Lord scoops him up. The diseased fool is about to perish. He hasn't taken any wisdom forever. He's sucking into himself, about to die. He hasn't done anything good with his life. All he could do is cry out to the Lord. And he does so, and the Lord heals him. The Lord heals him. The man in the dungeon, what can he contribute? He's forgotten. He is, he is down in that dank dungeon. Nobody knows he's there except God. He can't contribute anything. All he does is call out to the Lord. And in God's grace, he saves him. He saves him. Pure grace through faith. And so, what's our response? He says, what's our response to to seeing ourselves in these stories and realizing the depths of our sinfulness and our lostness and realizing the grace of God? What's the only good response? What's the only response to the lavish grace of God poured out on us in His rescue? The only right response is thankfulness. We can't pay God back like He's some butler who's carrying our baggage. We can't pay him back like we kind of we are equaled out what can we do we offer him our thanks verse 1 now give thanks to the lord does your prayer life display a thankfulness to god do you say like i'm tempted to do god i need this 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 and they need that that and that and the church needs this 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 goodbye is that or, or do we take time to bask in god's grace for us and to thank him in our prayer life Verse 22 says, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. If, if we were saved by Jesus sacrificing Himself for us, what's our response in thankfulness? It's what Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do we do that? Do we sacrifice? Do we, do we attend church when we can? Do we Teach Sunday school when we can. Do we serve one another when we can? Do we tithe when we can? Do we do all these things not out of obligation, but out of thankfulness? Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. 
He says, extol the work of the Lord and tell of His deeds in joyous song. Extol the work of the Lord. When we realize the depth of the grace of God for us that we don't deserve, we will not be able to help it but tell people about how great God is. We won't be able to help it. They'll just spill out of us when we're so thankful when we understand. They'll just spill out of us. We'll tell coworkers. We'll tell neighbors. We'll tell family how good God is to save a sinner like me. Extol. Tell. Proclaim. Out of thankfulness. Listen, we talk often about making faithful followers. You didn't hire me to make faithful followers. You didn't hire Darren to make faithful followers. To make faithful followers, a church needs to understand how, how great the grace of God is and the church has to proclaim to everyone out of thankfulness. That will change Pittsburgh. And finally, sing songs of joy. Sing songs of joy. Ever wonder why we sing on Sunday morning? One of the reasons that we sing is that we're commanded to. Sing songs of joy. May the thankfulness in our hearts, may, may the worship in song on Sunday morning be a response to the, our thankfulness for God. Do you sing with us? Do you sing as best you can? As loudly as you can? That makes a difference. I'll tell you who it makes a difference to. It makes a difference to my daughter Charlotte. I was holding her over here. She's three. She has heard you sing in Christ alone her entire life. For the first time ever, I held her right here and I could hear her singing. How is that possible? Well, she has heard you sing out of thankfulness for the grace of God. So thank you for doing that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Here's a great, here's a great easy application for us. We are called to sing out of thankfulness. Would you rise with me as we sing together?